Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Welcome to Mornings with Carmen on this 26th of December. Merry Christmas. All right. This is a um, recorded conversation. That will not surprise you that uh, neither Paul Perot nor I are actually in the studio this morning. Um, We are enjoying Christmas week with our families. We hope you are enjoying Christmas week with the people you love most in the world as well. Today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day comes from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. When we talk about the gifts of God, when we talk about the season of giving, when we talk about what did you get for Christmas, what's your favorite Christmas gift? Well, let me say this. My favorite Christmas gift is far and away Jesus Christ. No question about it. Same answer every year on the day after Christmas. If you ask me what's the best thing you got for Christmas, It's Jesus, no question about it. And that's what Paul's talking about here in Ephesians chapter two. The gift of God is salvation. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not something you accomplished yourself. It's a gift of God. Through the gift of Jesus Christ come so many other gifts. We're gonna talk about the gifts that come into our lives because of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's something that we're gonna unwrap all week. But this morning, I want to lead off with this. Have you received the good gift of God's grace in Jesus Christ? The gift of salvation is offered to you in Jesus today. What is grace? What is grace? That's an excellent question. Um, Some people describe uh, grace as God's unmerited favor. Some people describe it um, as uh, where the holiness of God and the love of God come together and kiss. Like, what is grace? Grace is an acknowledgement that God in his holiness cannot, cannot abide sin, but he loves us too much to not be uh, in a relationship with us. And so he does everything necessary for our salvation, which is that he sends Jesus to accomplish for us what we could not do for ourselves. And Jesus atones for our sin, for the reality of sin, for sin itself. And he does so on the cross. Do you have faith? Have you put your faith? Do you believe that salvation is possible and that God has accomplished it in Jesus? If so, you can put the full weight of your life upon that promise. By grace, you can be be saved through faith. It's not something that you're going to accomplish yourself. There's nothing that 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 you or I could do to ever make our way back across the chasm of sin to be reconciled to God. It is something that God had to accomplish, and he has. And it is a gift. So one of the things that um, is often highlighted about this passage in Ephesians is the walk-off part, not by works, so that no one can boast. 
And what Paul's talking about there is what others might call works righteousness, as if we can work our way back into God's good favor, as if we could work our way um, back into um, righteousness, that there's things that we could do to make ourselves good enough or clean enough to stand before the Father um, again. And there's just not. There's just not. We're like little babies that have vomited all over themselves. Like, we cannot clean ourselves up. There is nothing that we can do. God the Father, by his grace, has sent forth Jesus Christ, um, and he is the atoning uh, sacrifice. He is the one that does all the work. On the cross, Jesus actually says, it is finished. That's what he's talking about. When Jesus says, it is finished, that's what he's talking about. Everything that is necessary for our salvation. So what is our part? Well, we repent. We turn we recognize our sin. We cry out to God, Abba, Father. And, and he gives us all that's necessary, which is Jesus, in order that we might live reconciled lives to him, covered in the righteousness of Christ, not, not on our own merits, but on the merits of Christ alone, but that we would turn to him. We would receive the good gift by believing in the name of Jesus. Do you want to receive that gift today? I hope you do. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. We're going to start unpacking the gifts that arrive in our lives when we receive Christ and his spirit. This is Mornings with Carmen. You're listening to Faith Radio. In the morning, when I in the morning when i rise in the morning when i rise give me jesus well good morning again i'm carmen laberge you're listening to mornings with carmen here on faith radio this is a um, special recorded edition of the show during this christmas week so merry christmas to you we're going to talk about unwrapping the gift of Jesus in our lives. God has sent us this amazing gift, his very son. So what does it look like to unwrap the gifts of God that come to us in the person of Jesus? I mean, as the song says, give me Jesus, you can have all the rest, just give me Jesus. What does it mean um, to open the gift of Christ in our lives? I mean, have you considered the gifts of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord? We actually talked about this um, a couple of weeks ago, and so many people positively responded. And so I just wanted to account again um, for the gifts. And again, they're innumerable. The gifts we receive in Christ are beyond our ability to enumerate. And yet every once in a while, I think it's good for us to count um, a few of them. So what are the gifts of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord? We are justified by faith. We have the joy of salvation. We have peace with God and the peace of God. We have access to the Father. Like, just think about that for a moment. You can enter the throne room of heaven because of Jesus. We have the gift of prayer in Jesus' name. We stand before God in grace, covered in Christ. We have the hope of glory. We have the Holy Spirit and the fellowship of the saints, the very body of Christ. We have one another. We have the love of God now and forevermore. We're reconciled to God in Christ and 
because of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, we become reconciled to ourselves and then to one another. We have the gift of a new family. We are adopted into the household of faith. We become brothers and sisters in Christ, the very children of God. We have the gift of redemption, spiritual gifts, the promises of heaven. Yes, we have forgiveness of sins, and we also have victory over sin itself. We have purpose in life. We have hope beyond death, the very righteousness of Christ. We have life now and glory forevermore. We have mercies new every morning. We have Christ interceding for us now, preparing a place for us that we might go and be with him forever. We have freedom from fear. There's no condemnation in Christ. We have an advocate. We have the hope of glory. We have the presence of God, the word of God, the provision of God, the guidance of God, the protection of God against the enemy. We have all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. We have a future inheritance. We are a people who are kept, filled, called, sent, loved. What a gift. What gifts we have in Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have all the rest. Just give me Jesus. So what does that mean? What does it mean to receive the good gift of God in Jesus Christ? Let me start with who Jesus is. If we look at John 1, verse 1, we read this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Well, what does it mean that God gave us his Son if what John says is that this is really all about the Word and the Word becoming flesh? There's no mention here of the Son, just the Word. John says of the Word that the Word is God, the Word was God, with God, um, therefore somehow distinct from God. The Word was with God. The Word has always been in existence. It didn't come into being because of God, because the Word is in the beginning with God. So John goes on then to identify Jesus as the Word of God. If you drop down to verse 14 of John 1, he says, And the Word became flesh. That's the incarnation. That's Christmas. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. Glory as of, and hold on here, the only Son from the Father. There's the language. Now, that's pretty mind-boggling. God is Father, God is Son, and God is Holy Spirit. Three, and yet one. And the Father sends the Son, and we receive Him by the power of the Spirit. But not everyone receives the gift of God in Jesus. John makes that very plain. He says in verses 11 and 12, He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But some people did. And to those, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So in a nutshell, that's what it means to receive Jesus. It means to believe in his name, to believe that he is the son of God, the word made flesh to dwell among us, full of grace and truth, and that through him, The glory of the Father is revealed. So do you believe? And have you received? Because with Christ comes immeasurable gifts you could barely imagine. And how do you receive him? Have you received him as Savior and enthroned him as Lord? We're going to talk about what it looks like to open up the gift of Jesus in our lives in just a moment. 
You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Please prayerfully consider making a tax-deductible gift to Faith Radio before the year ends. You can give now by texting the word GIVE to 877-933-2484 or join the support team at MyFaithRadio.com. Thanks a lot. listening to Mornings with Carmen here during the Christmas week on Faith Radio. And so this is a special pre-recorded broadcast. We're so glad that you're here today. Um, want to wish you a merry, merry Christmas. We're talking about receiving the good gift of God in the person of Jesus. What does that look like? And what does it look like to open the gift of Jesus in our lives? First of all, um, I think that on Christmas, we think about opening a gift as just this personal experience. And certainly opening the gift of Jesus in our lives is a personal experience. No question about it. Um, He comes in order to be your Savior and the Lord of your life, but he also comes to be the Savior of the world and the Lord of all. The day is coming. It's not here yet, but it will come when every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We have a personal um, stake in that because we are one of those people but we are but one. In 1 John 3, we read this. Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us. So the gift there is love. Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. And we're going to remind ourselves um, back in the first chapter of John's gospel, how do we become children of God? Well, we receive Um, the one whom God has sent to all those who received him. That's Jesus, the son of God. The word became flesh to dwell among us. All who did receive him, who believed in his name, that's what receiving means. It means to believe. He gave the right to become children of God. And then here in 1 John 3, 1, behold, what manner of love the father has given us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. I want you to think for a moment about how children relate to one another in a family. We relate to one another as brothers and sisters, as each of us relates to the Father. Um, Each and every one of us is uh, in a position because of Jesus to cry out, Abba, Father, as individuals. But we also come together as the children of God, praying together, our Father who art in heaven. So yes, you are a child of God, and I am a child of God, adopted through Christ into a body of believers, a family of faith, into the household of God. So I want us to consider today and in the days to come our role in the household. Like, what's your role in the household of, of God, in the household of faith? What, what's your role and what's mine? What are we called and sent to do once we are believers, once we have received Christ? How do we um, unwrap the gift of Christ by the power of the Spirit in our lives? Because God has called us and poured his Holy Spirit into us for a purpose in order that we might live into all of the good works he has prepared in advance for us to do. We are instruments of his grace. We are ambassadors of his kingdom. Um, We are tools. And so how is it that God wants to use us? And God has fully equipped us um, for that work. So let's think about that for a moment. We start unwrapping uh, the the gift of God in Christ as we discover and cooperate with the Holy Spirit that's working within us. So when we receive Christ, when we believe in him, 
the Holy Spirit um, comes to dwell within us. And so maybe um, this week and into this new year, maybe what we need to be doing is getting to know the Holy Spirit a little bit better, the one who brings peace, the one who is counselor, the one who comes alongside, the one who is transforming us by one degree of glory into another, more into the likeness of Christ. Um, maybe we need to recognize that there is a spirit operating within the world, and that is a spirit quite opposite to and contrary to the Holy Spirit. So maybe we need to think about what it looks like to operate in the opposite spirit of the world, to operate in the spirit of Christ. I mean, what does that look like? How well do you know the Holy Spirit? Maybe getting to know the Holy Spirit is something you could spend time doing uh, this week and in this coming year. The Holy Spirit has lots of different roles um, in the Godhead, uh, and I think it's important for us to understand that the Holy Spirit is given to people who believe in Jesus in order that we might be bound together with God and with one another to help us become more like Christ, to make of us a body of believers, the very body of Christ in the world today. And so for Christians, the experience of eternal life doesn't begin when we die. It begins when we trust in Jesus, when we believe in his name, when we receive him, and God places his spirit within us. That's when your eternal life, the life Christ died to give you and rose that you might have, that's when your eternal life begins. It's, it, doesn't, it doesn't start when you die. As a Christian, it starts when you really start living the full life that Christ died that you might have. It's the Spirit-empowered, the Spirit-filled life. 2 Corinthians um, chapter 1, verses 21 and 22 says, Now it's God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. He set his seal of ownership on us. He put his Holy Spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. So throughout the Bible, um, the Holy Spirit equips people to do what God calls and sends them to do. He equips them for ministry. It's the Holy Spirit that gives people specific insight and wisdom and teaches people how to interpret God's word and communicate with the Father. It's the Holy Spirit who translates the words we speak into prayers unto the ear of God. Um, it's the Holy Spirit that empowers us to live according to God's design, to not only understand God's character and God's will, but to actually then operate in it. So the Holy Spirit is operating right now in the lives of believers. What is he doing? What is the Holy Spirit doing? Well, here's a few verses um, about the work of the Holy Spirit. First of all, from Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. The Holy Spirit lives within the followers of Jesus and produces lasting changes in our character, like visible, evident fruit. Jesus says you will know, it, you know them by their fruit. Well, here's the fruit he's talking about. The fruit of the Spirit, how you can tell that the Holy Spirit is operating in the life of a person, the fruit of the Spirit, the evidence of it is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So one of the um, fruit inspections that you and I can do 
is to look at our lives and say, okay, over the course of the past year, can I see an abundant harvest in my life, a greater evidence of the fruit of the Spirit? Is there actual demonstrable evidence of love, of joy, of peace? You see how it works. The Holy Spirit also teaches the truth about Jesus. John 14, 26 tells us, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. When, when God brings a passage of Scripture to mind when you are reading a headline or in the midst of a conversation, that's the Holy Spirit. That is evidence of the Holy Spirit's work um, in and on you, that the, that the Holy Spirit would bring a verse of Scripture to mind, a character um, to mind, a character trait or attribute or a way of God to mind, and then convict you to live and walk in it. The Holy Spirit also says what the Father tells him to say. When he, the Holy Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. Again, those are the words of Jesus in John 16, verse 13, about the Holy Spirit. Um, the Holy Spirit also gives believers the power to share their faith. You might turn to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And the Holy Spirit produces God's love in our hearts. The Holy Spirit is also the promise of the great things to come for those who trust in God. You might read Ephesians chapter 1 to read some of the promises of God um, for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are included in Christ. You were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, again, back to John 1, that is how we receive Jesus, by believing. When you believe, Paul says, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possessions to the praise of his glory. And yes, the Holy Spirit, this is probably the most well-known thing about the Spirit, gives people spiritual gifts skills and abilities that we need to share God's love. Um, so we're going to talk in the next few days about spiritual gifts, and we're going to unwrap the gifts that come with the gift of the Holy Spirit. Again, this is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and we are um, having a special time together during this Christmas week. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's unwrap more of the gifts that come with the gift of the Holy Spirit tomorrow morning as well. Join me every morning this week as we unwrap the gift of God's grace in Jesus Christ together. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. I will trust. So I'm curious, what do you do when God takes you to or leads you into or allows you be, to be led into places you don't want to go in your life? We're going to talk about the dark night of the soul. We're going to talk about um, places of challenge and periods of life when it's not going as we might want. And you might be saying to yourself, this is an odd subject matter for the day after Christmas. Um, 
I got to tell you, uh, you might be one of the folks who are living in a dark place right now in a dark season. Christmas may not have gone as you had hoped, as you had wanted. Your life might not be going as you um, had hoped. You might not be at the place in this uh, at this point in the year as we turn the page into a new year. You might be saying, I mean, you know, what lies ahead? We're going to talk with Ross Douthat about the deep place because God has taken him to places that he didn't necessarily want to go, but he has discovered a lot along the way. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Ross Douthat is a brother in Christ. He joined the New York Times as an opinion columnist in April 2009. His columns appear every Tuesday and Sunday. He also writes on Substack, which I highly recommend. His books include The Decadent Society, uh, which he published in 2020, um, and a range of, of other titles as well. I loved Bad Religion, How to Become a Nation of Heretics, or How We Became a Nation of Heretics in 2012. Um, but his most recent book is called The Deep Places, a memoir of illness and discovery. It's now been out for a year, and Ross is joining us to talk about it today. Ross, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks so much. It's great to be back. So I want to start with this. Like, literally, how are you feeling today? Like, right now? And then, <laughs> and then is that connected or disconnected from how you felt yesterday and how you expect to feel tomorrow? I'm I'm feeling pretty good right now. Um, I just dropped my kids off at school, uh, so that that's always a feeling a feeling of relief. But generally, you know, day to day these days, I I usually say I'm about ninety five percent, which means that there's fluctuations from day to day. I'll have you know weird pain in one part of my body or another for an hour here or twenty minutes there. Um, but it's very much within a manageable range. Um, and that is a radical improvement over how I felt six, five, four years ago uh, when I was in the worst of the experience that I write about in in the book. Yeah, so The Deep Places is a memoir of illness and discovery. Um, One of the descriptions is uh, a story about chronic illness, real estate disaster, scientific controversy, religious faith, fringe medical treatment, lab leak conspiracy, well, and a few other things. So um, Ross has had an experience um, that he shares in this book, um, and, and he does so, you know, with the skill of a writer who is able to take you into... Um, not only a room and an experience, but his own body and the experience of um, of what he has endured. So I highly commend it. The Deep Places um, is the book. Ross, uh, talk with us about or take us back to the spring of 2015. Um, you know, you've got this dream house. I want you to walk us around there. You just find out you're about to have your third child. You literally experience this pain in your neck. And then you describe eating what it was your last ordinary meal. Can you kind of take us to that period of time? Yeah, so so this was sort of a life peak for us. We had we lived in Washington D.C. my wife and I, but we were both from New England, and we always wanted to move back to New England. And 
I, in particular, had this fantasy of buying a farmhouse in the country and, you know, with acres and fields and barns and stone walls um, and, you know, sort of raising my kids in touch with nature, all, all these kind of ideas that people who live in cities tend to nurse. And we actually went for it. Uh, we sold our row house, our cramped little row house in Washington, D.C., and we bought a 1790s farmhouse. Uh, and as you said, just at that exact moment, my wife got pregnant with our third child. Um, and it was basically like, well, we had this fantasy and we had made it real and it was going to be amazing. Uh, and instead, in basically the weeks while we were still in Washington, sort of planning the move, but had already maybe fatefully done the home inspection and wandered through those fields, um, I got sick and it started as neck pain and progressed to this sort of weird full body meltdown where, you know, my bowels turned to liquid, my throat felt like it was closing up, I had phantom heart attacks, I had pain everywhere. Um, and it just sort of escalated and escalated over this, over that summer without any doctor in Washington being able to figure out what was wrong with me. And by the time we, instead of, you know, going north in triumph, dragged ourselves <laughs> to this, this farmhouse, um, I had lost 45 pounds. I was sleeping about two hours a night. Uh, I was taking, you know, eight different medications that the doctors were just throwing at me, sleeping pills, Xanax, antidepressants, you know, just about anything. Um, and it was only when we got to Connecticut that I started seeing doctors who said, well, you know, if you have a mystery illness and you live in New England, or maybe you just bought a house and wandered its overgrown grounds in New England, there's a good chance that you have a tick-borne illness uh, like the sort of famous name for a small town in Connecticut, Lyme disease. All right. So if you're listening right now and you've just joined us, we're talking with Ross Douthat. You know him from The New York Times. He's an opinion columnist. If you don't know him, you should. Um, he's one of my favorites. I read his Substack regularly um, in addition to being a paid subscriber to The Times in order that I can read what he writes there as well. Um, we're talking about his latest book, The Deep Places, A Memoir of Illness and Discovery, um, and at one level, Ross, I want to say that this, you know, this book is a departure for you. But because I am also um, familiar with a decadent society and have appreciated um, that you are able to draw parallels between these two, there are some affinities between uh, the deep places and the decadent society that I'd love for you to wander around in. Because I want to have the personal conversation, but I also want to have the the mystery illness, we're all sick, systemic conversation. Yeah. So, I mean, The Decadent Society was, is a book about uh, how rich, powerful societies get stuck, basically, how they become stagnant, how their political systems become gridlocked, um, how growth slows down and culture goes in circles and all, all of those kinds of things. It's a book about sort of stagnation and sclerosis and argues that this is one way to understand what's wrong with America today. Um, and if you look at the world of, you know, sort of how the American medical system interacts with chronic illness, uh, meaning not just Lyme disease, but everything from chronic fatigue syndrome um, to fibromyalgia down now to uh, long, long term COVID people who have who have the get the coronavirus and don't get better. 
you see, I think, a version of what I'm calling decadence, where you have a sort of system trying to solve a problem, but just sort of going endlessly in circles, getting stuck in failed ideas and failed failed perspectives, um, even as people are suffering terribly and sort of begging for help that the system is unable to provide. And Lyme disease is an inter interesting case study because it was discovered in the 1970s. Uh, there was sort of, you know, the first people probably were getting sick earlier than that. It's a it's disease probably spread by suburbanization. As you build suburbs, people come in contact with deer and the ticks they carry. Um, but basically, early on, people figured out that if you treat Lyme disease with antibiotics, uh, a lot of people who have it get better. And that was true then, and it's true today. But that became then the paradigm through which the, you know, the worldview basically through which all cases were analyzed and understood. So you're supposed to take four weeks of antibiotics, and if you get better, great. And if you don't get better, well, we're sorry, <laughs> you don't fit inside our understanding of the disease, and there's very little or nothing we can do about, about it. And maybe maybe you don't have Lyme disease anymore, maybe you do, but we're helpless to help you. Um, but either way, the medical system basically had this initial, this initial correct understanding that the disease is a bacterial infection and you need to treat it with antibiotics, and then got stuck there even as tens and tens of thousands of people got sick in the Northeast initially, but the disease spread beyond the Northeast. There's a big pocket in Minnesota and Wisconsin. It's sort of weakest in, in Ohio and Michigan. It sort of skips over <laughs> that part of the Midwest. Um, but the disease has spread to the point where there are now, you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of cases. Millions of people have been infected with it at some point. And there are just tens of thousands of people stuck with symptoms that don't go away. And in order to get help, you have to go to one degree or another outside the system into terrain where, you know, there's a lot of weird things going on. And some of them are <laughs> crankish and quackish, and some of them seem crankish and quackish until you try them, and then they actually help you. And you have to revise your understanding of reality, which I did a certain amount of in the course of this experience. But but basically you have, with chronic illness, a sort of inner system of official medical knowledge that is correct as far as it goes, but doesn't cover a lot of reality. And then you have a lot of wild ideas sort of circulating on the fringe that help a lot of people. Some of them are kind of crazy, but they never sort of they never sort of break through back into institutional medicine. Mm -hmm. So these worlds are sort of permanently divided. They each have their own vices and their own problems, um, but we haven't been able to integrate them in ways right. that, in the ways where if you go to see your normal general practitioner, your family doctor, and you have Lyme disease or some other chronic illness, and it doesn't go away immediately, they aren't gonna be able to help you. Um, and that's a strange state of affairs. So we're talking with Ross Douthat, and if you um, or someone you love suffers from a chronic illness, let me just tell you that The Deep Places, which is a memoir of illness and discovery, Ross very faithfully walks you through his own experience and, yes, introduces you to lots of things that you might consider a little weird and wacky, but some of them really worked. So we're going to talk about healing, and we're also going to talk about Bill Maher asking Ross 
why God didn't heal him since he's a believer. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Sign up for the free Bible in a Year reading plan at MyFaithRadio.com and get everything you need to follow the plan each day and stay on track, including a printed schedule. Sign up now at MyFaithRadio.com. Talking with Ross Douthat, we're talking about um, his latest book, The Deep Places. You should also be reading what he is writing in real time, both at the New York Times and on his Substack. And so we're talking um, about his chronic illness. And Ross, let's talk about that word chronic. First of all, let's talk about substantial healing that you've experienced. And then the question asked, which is, you know, you're a believer. You prayed for healing. You know, why doesn't God just heal? Um, which one, which question do you want me to answer? Yeah, you know, first? pick, pick whichever one Either you way. want, right? Cause it's well, chronic, work, right? I'll I mean, work my, I'll work, I'll work my way backwards, right? Cause yeah, I went on, I went on Bill Maher's show and that was, you know, that was the, the concluding question. Um, because Bill is of course a famous, a famous atheist. Um, and I think my okay, answer you say, to him was, you say that, you say that, but there in that moment is this way that he asks you the question and the way that he looks at you and clearly the way that he loves you as a friend where there is this like honest seeking in his question and so i thank you for being faithful in that moment and faithful in in that relationship because i'm i'm always holding out hope that god is doing something beyond what we could even imagine so i just why well, i, so thank I, I you. do i think i well i i i appreciate it i do i think that people who are what you might call famous atheists, as opposed to people who are just indifferent to religion. The famous atheists do have a relationship with God. It's a combative, angry, frustrated, I can't possibly believe in you kind of relationship. But it is more of a relationship, I think, than the truly indifferent person has. And that's part of why Religious believers are always sort of interested in figures like Bill or the late Christopher Hitchens, um, I think, because not just because we want them to convert um, or believe, but also because there is something that the believer and that kind of atheist have have in common, this kind of wrestling with God. And this is, you know, sort of connects to the question he asked me and that you asked me, right, which is that confronting an experience of suffering like this. And, you know, I'm in my early 40s. This was the first time in my life I'd had to deal with sustained physical suffering, like really transformative day in and day out. Your body is not your own. It doesn't work for you. It's here to punish you physical suffering. And I have had healing. I have, you know, as I said at the start of the show, I'm in pretty good shape now. It took years and years and years, but I did get mostly better. Um, but I wasn't healed by a bolt from the blue. And to the extent that I had, and I, obviously I begged for it <laughs> at, at various times and places every day at various times. And to the extent that I got anything back from those to those sort of desperate prayers, it was usually a kind of, sometimes I almost call it like a wink, but that that makes it sound sort of, you know, sort of jokey, which it wasn't really, but more like, more like signs that God was there and listening and heard me and that whatever I was going through, I was going through for a reason. And that I think 
clearly has to be part of the Christian answer to the mystery of suffering, right? That suffering is not just an emptiness, an empty signifier that, you know, that you're just trying to escape from. And if God was truly good, he would liberate it from you immediately. There has to be a reason that suffering is allowed into people's lives. And, you know, Christians, we, you know, we have these sort of clever philosophical arguments about how, you know, evil is necessary for, you know, it's necessary for people to be able to choose evil uh, in order for us to have free will, in order for us to choose God and so on. Um, but suffering is a little different. Suffering, especially in the context of a religion whose central drama is the crucifixion, you know, suffering isn't just there to sort of vindicate our free will suffering is there to transform us i think it's something there for us to go through and respond to and become a new person on the other mm -hmm. side um and i'm not, i don't think i you know became you know the ideal new person the new person that god would absolutely want me to be um, but I learned things about myself and about reality, about the world, uh, about what I can bear and what I'm capable of and what I need from other people and what other people who are suffering need from us that I had, you know, no, no sense of beyond the sort of abstract and intellectual before I went through an experience like this. And that that I think is how you have to you have to deal with it. And, you know, it's also I mean, the reality is that I was fortunate i mean five five a few years of terrible pain five years of suffering um people go through worse things than that i may go through something worse than that so you have to obviously keep that in mind too as you're going through this right there's a sort of a fear of god that comes into this that's yeah a sort of healthy respect for what what might be asked of you asked of you next um mm. but yeah that's that's the fundamental reality that you have to you have to figure out in suffering not just when God is going to heal you, but also what is being asked of you? What kind of story are you part of right now? Because that's how Christians have to think about their lives. It's a story that God is writing, and you're trying to, in effect, play the appropriate part. So good. It's so good. Um Ross, uh, thank you so much. I, I wanted to find time to talk about the other person in the illness. I really appreciated what you wrote on your Substack about your wife. Um, and for those of you who are readers and appreciate good writing, Abigail Tucker is also a writer in the Dowsett house, household. Her book, Mom Genes, Inside the Secret Science of Our Ancient Maternal Instinct, um, is also a book that was written uh, in their house at the same time. And so I think when we think about who walks through these experiences, it's not just the person who's experiencing it in their physical body, but, you know, as as two become one in marriage, right, she experiences this as well. And so your reflection, reflections on that, I, I deeply appreciated, Ross. So, yeah, I don't know that we have really time to unpack yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, but... I, I, I would, yeah, I would just say that's part of the reality, too, that you are there's a, a ripple effect from any illness. People around you are caught up in it. They suffer in their own ways as well. And they also have to learn whatever it is, you know, whatever, whatever cross they're supposed to carry in these kind of illnesses. And it's with the last thing I'd say is just that with chronic illness, especially the challenge for both the sufferer and the person outside is figuring out what is real here, 
right? You know, there's a lot of skepticism about chronic illness, so much medical uncertainty. And one thing I just was trying to do in the book is, you know, whatever you think of, you know, the hard scientific foundation of these things, the reality of the challenge is something that everyone should grasp and understand, I think, to help themselves and others. So helpful. The Deep Places. Ross Douthat is the author. You've been listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. Thank you so much for joining us. You can get the show notes and links to everything that we discussed during um, during this hour online at MyFaithRadio.com or wherever you download your podcast. This has been Mornings with Carmen. Have a great day and God bless. This is a new All right. Well, thank you again for joining me on this day after Christmas. I'm wondering what you've got in terms of leftovers, what's left to do, what's left to unwrap. Maybe you still even haven't even celebrated Christmas with all the people you're going to be celebrating with. Um, Or maybe you didn't have anybody to celebrate with. And I recognize and acknowledge that. And so thank you so much for spending this time with me today. I highly value it. I'm going to ask you to, um, to do something here to reflect for just a moment with me about the value of this ministry in your life. Like we have walked through some interesting experiences together this year. Maybe you just discovered Faith Radio this year, and maybe you just discovered Mornings with Carmen, and you have uh, you found it to be a blessing on your spiritual journey. If so, would you consider a year-end gift to this ministry? This is listener-supported radio. It's also listener-supported media of every other variety. So maybe you're listening online streaming at MyFaithRadio.com, or you're listening via the podcast. Um, However you're listening, there's an opportunity right there for you to give and make a year-end gift. Would you consider that here at the end of the year, making a gift to keep this ministry strong in the year to come? We love, appreciate, and value every moment that we have together. And so thank you so much for the time we've spent together, and thank you for what is yet to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Mornings with Carmen special Christmas episodes here on Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.